Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. The first preview episode of the podcast for an upcoming opponent. Blake, Florida Atlantic this week. I know we're all excited, but first, a couple news items to get to. I know on the last podcast, uh, right towards the end of when we were shooting, I know you were looking down at your phone and we were getting the messages that Florida had accepted a transfer, basically, and we're going to have a new guy on campus late in fall camp. Uh, we obviously come to find out that is Auburn defensive tackle Tyrone Truesdell. Uh, so Florida has added a third graduate transfer defensive tackle. Blake, was this a a need position for you, or uh, is this? I mean, I guess it's kind of unusual to see a guy added this late. What are your thoughts on Florida adding this guy? It is, but I think whenever you look at Florida's defensive line, Truesdell is more of a true nose type of guy for me. And obviously, they added uh, Antonio Valentin. Um, this past year for Penn state, I think he's more of a true nose, you know, really that interior type of guy, but Florida really needs depth. I mean, you're looking past that. There's just not a lot of options. I mean, you could definitely fit some guys in, you know, you could put a Javon Dexter in there, but I don't know that he's really a guy that's a nose type of guy. I think he's more of a three technique kind of a guy that's got some flashy athleticism to him. So I think past that, I mean, you're looking at, you know, possibly throwing in a freshman at that nose position in Desmond Watson or someone who's really unproven. So I think for Florida, it's about adding someone who's talented. I mean, this is a guy who started, was going to start at Auburn. I believe he was a two-year starter at Auburn. I watched some clips of him against uh, Florida when they played Auburn back in 2019. Um, he was a guy that flashed, really made some plays. Um, I think it's a good addition for Florida. You add a guy who, A, has some experience, B, is obviously talented, and C, you have a guy that you add depth there. And I think that's something that Florida can continue to add. Depth is always great, especially the defensive line position, a position in the SEC. That I mean, it's, it's a trench league. So I think adding a guy like that, that is proven, I, I, I just don't see any negatives to it. Sure, you'd like to have him in there a little bit earlier, but you know you can't really put any... Anything past when guys enter the transfer portal, you know, that's just something that kind of happens. And, and Florida being really masters of the transfer portal pulled another one out of there. Yeah. And I know that, you know, that was obviously a spot in the off season that we knew that Florida needed some help. I mean, they graduated three seniors. You knew that you had a little bit of the recruiting class gap from that 2018, 2019 class, something we've talked about extensively on this podcast. I thought it was interesting that even Dan Mullen noted that, that they were a little bit light on recruiting that position in those two years early in his tenure. And so they needed to plug and play. Blake, uh, I, I know that you had a chance to talk to, to Keith Niebuhr, who's our Auburn writer. He basically described Truesdale as exactly like you did, you know, a, a true nose tackle type who can get in there and occupy some space. And I think 
when you look at Florida's defense under Todd Grantham, that's really what Florida needs from those interior players. I thought one of the biggest problems with the defense over the last, really, I would say the last two years, but really it's been an issue since Dan Mullen's been here, I think, uh, even going back to 2018 in that first Kentucky game where Florida lost, Florida's defensive tackles have not been good enough to consistently command double teams to free up the linebackers and those edge rushers to go make plays. And, you know, will Truesdale be a guy that is able to do that, I think, for Florida? Potentially. Now, the getting into when he arrives, I think, is an important topic. And uh, I had a chance to speak to Todd Grantham this week. And, and we asked him about, you know, when is Truesdale going to get involved? Like, how, how quickly can you get this guy on the field? Because obviously you have the NCAA acclimation period, which for people that don't know, you know, when you're starting fall camp, when you're starting spring practice, the NCAA requires you to have a certain number of practices in shorts and helmet and then in half shells before you can get to full shells. Uh, Todd Grantham, you know, a lot of the reporters were thinking, hey, maybe Truesdale doesn't line up for a week or two, doesn't really get dressed out for a couple games. He's going to be in there Saturday. You know, Todd Grantham was very clear that they plan to get him involved right away. And Blake, one of the things that I think will help with Truesdale is that you have a former teammate of his at Auburn, Daquan Newkirk, who has already made the same transition, who came in this spring and was able to pick up some of this stuff, some of the terminology. And so I think when you have a guy like that, that has been in the same system with Truesdale at Auburn, all of a sudden, when you do have you know, similar concepts, but different terminology, Newkirk can come over and very easily say, hey, when they say this, this is what they're talking about. This is what we called it at Auburn. And I think that transition can happen a lot sooner. But Blake, I also look at Florida wanting to get Tyrone Truesdale involved right away as a sign that Alabama's coming up in week three. And I think they're going to need him in that game. Absolutely. I think whenever you have a team like Alabama, they're really you know, they always bring in a good offensive line. They always have a lot of power in there. So I think getting those kind of guys in there to create pressure. I mean, you have to get, if you have a guy that's behind the learning curve as far as terminology and what you do in a defense and schemes and things like that. I mean, we know Tyron Truesdale is talented. You shed a block and you go get the pet, you tackle the guy with the ball. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty simple to, you know, really get him along the way, but you're going to need him to get those snaps, get him could just really comfortable by the time Alabama comes in. And I think FAU is a really good game. Um, for him to kind of get his feet wet as far as we're scheme wise. I mean, you have a guy that, I mean, it's not his first game. When I say get his feet wet, it's it's not like he's never played before, but just getting him more comfortable in what Florida is going to want him to do. And I think Grantham even said in the media um, availability the other day that, you know, I I believe someone asked, you know, how do you, how do you navigate with him? And, And really, I think the answer was just seeing what he can do, what he's comfortable doing. And I think that that's going to be something that's good that he gets those practices in for Florida. And then you can kind of test those things that, you know, yes, he was comfortable in this in practice. Let's have him full go in a game. So Florida will continue to learn more and more about him in practice and in the games coming up. And he should be ready to go for Alabama to really kind of take things open um, along with those other guys on the defensive line for Florida. And they're going to need all those guys against Alabama. No doubt. And I think the other thing, you know, that, that we had heard was that Florida was a little bit banged up at defensive tackle kind of towards the end of fall camp. And, and Dan Mullen didn't provide specifics on that. You know, obviously he doesn't like to give opponents any kind of short-term uh, injury designations for his players. You know, he's only going to tell you if a guy's out for the year. <laughs> so what we've heard is that Daquan Newkirk is dealing with a little bit of a groin strain, I guess you would say. Uh, but he, according to Dan Mullen, was back out there on Monday. Uh, so theoretically has gotten this full week of practice in and should be available. Uh, but then Jalen Lee, who's a guy that Florida was really counting on to play some positive snaps this year, another second-year guy like Javon Dexter, uh, he's out right now with an ankle sprain. So, 
Uh, not only did Florida have kind of that need during the offseason to get some more experience in there, but they also had a more pressing need towards the end of fall camp. Now, I don't know if those injuries are the sole reason that Truesdale's here. You know, if it was a situation where Florida staff, you know, kind of had him on the back burner and knew that he was potentially looking to make a jump to another school. Uh, my understanding is that he was looking to get out of Auburn pretty early in fall camp, and that was an option. And, and I think there was some communication there once he was in the portal. Um but I think if anything, you know, you get another body in there, you give Duquan Newkirk a chance to get to 100% before that Alabama game. Uh, hopefully, we don't really have a timeline on Jalen Lee, but hopefully he's able to get back into that rotation sooner than later. And then I guess, Blake, the, the flip side of the Truesdale news is that Florida actually later that day after we recorded the Monday podcast had Andrew Chatfield announced that he's going to transfer from the program, uh, a defensive end that we had talked about a little bit in the offseason as being one of those, uh, you know, third, fourth year guys that had been involved a little bit, but, you know, had had flashed some, but not really gotten his opportunity. Was he going to be a guy that could push through and really shore up that depth chart? Um, he's opting to look for another opportunity elsewhere. wanted to get your quick thoughts on that, because I know you're a guy that covered Chatfield and recruiting a little bit. Uh, he was obviously a very talented prospect. W- what's your take on his decision to move? Is this just a case of looking for a bigger opportunity elsewhere? I think so. And I think too, whenever you look at Florida's defense, even at a high school, Chatfield was one of those guys that was kind of stuck in between two positions. Was he a, a buck outside linebacker type of guy? When he played defensive end strictly in high school, he was a guy that really just rushed a passer, didn't do much of the dropping back into coverage, really showing more athleticism there. Don't get me wrong, he was an athletic guy whenever it comes to testing numbers and all those things. It was just what he was comfortable doing coming out of high school. But then you look at him, you never know those tweener type of guys. Are they going to, can you, can you shrink him down through the strength and conditioning and make him more of a true buck? Or can you add some weight on there and make him more of a true defensive, te- uh, excuse me, defensive end five technique type of guy? And I just don't know that he was ever really that guy that really had the size to play that five position for Florida. Um, I think you've seen guys that, you know, were on the depth chart. I don't believe Chatfield was on there if I, if I'm not mistaken, so I think you've got a guy that was kind of stuck in between two positions. And I think that looking for maybe some more playing time somewhere, because obviously that wasn't looking like the case at Florida, maybe somewhere that a defense kind of fits his specialty a little bit more, maybe a defense that uses a little bit more of those speedy edge rusher guys um, to where you're not going to be stuck into two positions. Yeah, Blake, I wanted to talk, too, about, you know, one other thing that came up, and I, and I mentioned it briefly when we were talking about Truesdale and that class gap in recruiting. Um, to me, it felt like Florida was a little bit overly heavy on that buck position. I know that we talked about it um, in previous recruiting cycles. If it just seemed like they were going after a lot of buck types, I think Chatfield's kind of the product of, of what happens when you load up a lot at one position. I mean, you talked about it. The depth chart had three guys on it just at Buck, you know, between Brenton Cox, Jeremiah Moon, and Chris Bogle. And Andrew Chatfield would have been probably the fourth guy in that mix. But that's just the Bucks. You're talking about guys on the other side that Florida will, you know, cross over from time to time. You got Zach Carter, you got Dante Lang, Princely Humane Mialin, uh, Antoine Powell, you got Lloyd Summerall somewhere in the mix. Chief Borders. I mean, Florida just had a ton of guys. And that's even throwing Diabate in those positions, right, too. Another right. guy's he'll, he'll drop down from linebacker sometimes. Could be listed as a edge. true linebacker, but they're going to use him in so many different ways. There's just really was a log jam of that position. Yeah. So I, I think one thing that, you know, it was interesting to hear Dan Mullen acknowledge that the reason they had to bring in some of these grad transfer defensive tackles was because of that class gap. The, the flip side of having a class gap is overly loading up on one position, and then you have more churn, more turnover, more attrition than you would normally because you just have too many guys there. Now, I, I don't know that that this Chatfield situation is anything to panic over. I don't think that Florida is like, you know, so overloaded with bucks that like there's going to be 
gaping holes elsewhere on the roster. But it's something to notice when you're when you're evaluating recruiting at each spot. You know, I think it's important not just to look at the class ranking in terms of where does it stack up nationally, where does it stack up in the SEC, but are you hitting not only your needs, but are you making sure you're not, you know, overloading certain spots because roster balance is a real thing. Now, Blake, the 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 second point that I wanted to make on this is I think it's becoming easier to fill certain spots via the transfer portal with the rules the NCAA has put in place. Obviously, we've been praising Dan Mullen for a couple of years now for getting guys out of the portal. But I think this Truesdale edition is really, and maybe it'll end up proving to be unique, but I think for me, it's more of a sign that coaches now almost have a little bit of that NFL-like free agency that they can tap into. Now, it's not going to be the situation where you do this regularly, where you're pulling a guy late in fall camp and then all of a sudden he's playing for you in week one. I don't think that that's going to be abnormal. But I do think the ability to patch unexpected holes on the roster via the transfer portal is something that's going to happen in college football. And I think you could even look at um, Florida secondary. You know, we've talked about Jaden Hill being out for the year with a torn ACL. Mar Wilcoxon out with a knee injury for now. We don't know how long that could end up being something that drags out several weeks. Well, this offseason, Florida went and got two guys out of the transfer portal in Elijah Blades and Jadarius Perkins. So I think you're, you're continuing to see the shift in college athletics where, you know, you can fill your roster with some experience at spots of needs more so than you used to be able to do. And I think that's something to keep in mind. You know, but, but 2021 to me will be an interesting year to watch play out in that regard. You know, is it a situation where it feels more like those are panic scrambles late? Or do we look back at the end of 2021 and say, holy cow, like Dan Mullen really knows what he's doing. Daquan Newkirk was an all SEC guy. Uh, you know, Truesdale, you know, really helped push Florida towards the playoffs in this this set of games, blah, blah, blah. I, I think there there's a lot of shifting dynamics in college football that we need to continue to keep an eye on. Definitely. And I think injuries have something to do with it too, because I mean, looking back in hindsight, I remember whenever, you know, Florida's messing with Elijah Blades, brings him in on an official visit, Florida's recruiting Jadarius Perkins, he commits. A lot of people, you know, out there were saying, you know, Florida's got a lot of these young DBs, you know, this, that, and the other. And then you look back in hindsight, you know, Jaden Hill injury, Kamar Wilcoxon injury. Now that you have these guys that you got through the transfer portal. So I think not only do I agree with you that there is a little bit of an NFL free agent type of feel to it, but it's also good because you never know how injuries are going to work. And it's just such a a common thing, you know, a guy can easily tear his knee. He can easily do that. So I think the portal too is, is it, it kind of coincides with your point to where that, you know, injuries are going to happen, but it's good to have those guys with experience to where you can kind of fill those. No doubt. And I think, you know, to your point, I, I was one of the guys that uh, I wasn't all the way on board with the Elijah blades <laughs> take. Um, I, I thought that Florida, when you look, I think they signed 13. <laughs> don't quote me on that, but I think they signed 13 guys across two recruiting classes. When you're talking about, uh, the class that included Trevez and uh, Rashad Torrance, Mordecai McDaniel, all those guys. And then last year's signing class, I want to say it was 13 defensive backs. Um, so you're talking about a lot of young guys. And my concern was, okay, if you bring in a Jadarius Perkins and then all of a sudden he's in front of one of those first or second year guys on the depth chart, does that guy get discouraged and then transfer? And obviously we saw Jahari Rogers transfer out of the program. Um, at the time, I thought that was, you know, kind of a blow to Florida well, you know what? Maybe Dan Mullen and his staff had a little bit better pulse on where the guys on the roster were. Maybe they were anticipating the Jahari Rogers thing. Um, you know, obviously you can't predict injuries like Jaden Hill and Will Coxon, but I think Mullen's staff, you know, they were ahead of the curve there. And in hindsight, I was the guy that was wrong for them or, or for being critical of them making those takes. Um, 
but you know, that's kind of the evolution of the game. And I think, um, I don't know that right now there is necessarily a real right or wrong answer to is, is this the right way to do the transfer portal? Is this the wrong way to do the transfer portal? I think we're still very much in that, that leeway set of years where you're, you know, coaches are figuring it out. They're still learning. Um, but Blake, let's, let's get into Florida Atlantic a little bit. I, you know, I won't say they're a typical cupcake opener for Florida, but they obviously don't have the intrigue of, you know, last year when Florida's opening up with a conference opponent, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll talk some owls and uh, Florida season opener in the swamp. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Blake, we're going to get into talking about Florida Atlantic, this week's opponent. Uh, but first, another thing that came out right after we shot our Monday edition of the podcast was Florida's depth chart. So uh, let's talk about that. Thomas, obviously, the depth chart, Dan Mullen has showed that, you know, just because the depth chart's out doesn't mean that's what he's going to stick to. But from scanning it, you obviously wrote an article on it whenever it did come out. Was there anything that caught your eye, anything notable just from what Florida put out for week one? To be honest with you, probably not. I think if you followed us on Swamp 24-7 throughout the offseason and you kept up with the, you know, the VIP insider notes that we post for subscribers between, you know, both myself and Bob Redman, um, I don't think you were probably shocked by a lot of these things. And I put out a depth chart preview a couple days before the depth chart came out. Uh, other than one or two spots, pretty close to being on. I think some of the things that probably will surprise fans are that, you know, both of those former five-star running backs, Demarcus Bowman and Lorenzo Lingard, neither of them appeared on the depth chart. Um, that's something that we talked about in the last podcast. You know, probably we'd like to see Florida get those guys more involved. I think they're both home run hitters. But at this point, you know, Florida's depth chart reflects what we kind of know, that Florida staff is really going to prefer seniority and guys that have proven that they can do all aspects of the game, you know, whether that's pass blocking, whether that's, um, catching the ball out of the backfield, all that. And so um, I, I do expect that Lorenzo Lingard and Demarcus Bowman are going to get their opportunities this year, but they're going to have to prove it. And so they're really going to have to make the most of their limited snaps because Florida just has a lot of ball carriers. Um, and I, I don't know if that stuck out to you, Blake, um, but looking at it, that was probably one of my chief takeaways, I would say. Yeah, I would agree with that. I also think, too, it's not really a surprise to me, but seeing Avery Helm get that nod at cornerback. Right. Um, you know, there's been talk about, well, Jason Marshall, the five-star guy that Florida signed in the 2021 class, would he be the guy to start out the gate? Like you mentioned, seniority. Um, Avery Helm has really impressed his staff through spring and fall camp, so it wasn't a surprise just from what we've heard and what we've reported, just from, you know, just the athleticism he brings, um, just all the intangibles he has there. 
But I think that that was something that a lot of people were keeping an eye on when you sign a five-star like Jason Marshall, when you bring in transfer portal guys like Perkins and Blades to see Avery Helm get that nod. Not a surprise, but just something that I, I, I guess I wanted to bring up. Yeah, and I think that that's uh, another thing that I picked up on. I think one thing that fans need to know if you're if you're taking the depth chart out and looking at it as we're going through here, um, there's a lot of spots where guys may not be listed as the starter, but they're going to play a ton. And I think Jason Marshall is one of those guys. Sure. You know, if you're a fan looking at the depth chart and you see Jason Marshall listed behind Kyir Elam, you may think, oh, well, that guy's never going to get on the field. That's not the case at all, right? Like Avery Helm and Jason Marshall were very much competing – or a starting spot at cornerback throughout fall camp. And that was a very close competition. So Jason Marshall is going to get his chances. He's going to rep through um, just because you see him listed as a backup. Don't assume that he's, you know, somehow less important than Avery Helm or anything like that. Those guys are going to play a lot. A couple of the other guys offhand that, you know, I think fans may have the same concern with Xavier Henderson, a guy that, you know, we were real high on last year showed a little bit. I thought, He's a guy that's lifted, listed behind Jacob Copeland. Again, he's a guy that's going to be in at receiver. You talk about really those top five to six guys. What's more important is you focus on those top five to six rather than the three guys that are listed as starters and the three guys that are listed as backups. Like Xavier Henderson is going to play as much as, you know, Jacob Copeland, Justin Shorter, Trent Whittemore. Um, so don't get caught up on those too much. Uh, Diabate is another one at linebacker. I, you know, a lot of fans are probably – a little angsty after seeing Amari Bernie listed as the starter next to Ventrell Miller. But Diabate is going to play, I would say, he may not play as many snaps as Miller, but he's going to get the second most snaps in that group. So again, don't don't get too caught up on guys that are listed as quote-unquote backups. That's not really going to be how it plays out in, in real terms. And we've seen that over the course of the last three years with Dan Mullen. Don't get overly hung up on the depth chart. It, it's, it's in some ways used to motivate guys, in some ways – uh, a lot of times it's not even necessarily, you know, a, a Florida staffer that's completely listing that. Sometimes they get an SID to say, hey, you know, you've been out at practice, a sports information director, the guy that works with the media. And they say, hey, put this together for the media and, you know, get it out there. So I, I think those are a couple spots um, just glimpsing over it. I think the other one, Blake, would be the O-line. You know, the starting five is very much what we expected it to be. From left to right, it's going to be Richard Garage, Ethan White, Kingsley Aguacoon. Uh, Stuart Reese and then John DeLance. And I think the guy that a lot of fans are wondering, where is he, is Josh Braun. He's a, he was a guy that last year as a freshman got involved quite a bit playing guard. A lot of people wondered if maybe he could push out to tackle now that he's had another year under his belt, gotten some experience. I don't think that's going to be the case, Blake. And, and you can tell me if you disagree, but from what it sounds like to me out of fall camp, uh, if Florida makes some changes, it's more likely to be Stuart Reese moving from right guard to right tackle and Josh Braun stepping in at right guard than anything else. Um, but I would like to see Braun more involved. And that's one of those ones where, unfortunately, unlike the receivers, unlike the cornerbacks, Florida really hasn't been quite as fluid with that six offensive lineman. And I'd like to see them get Josh Braun a little bit more involved. I think he can be in their best five. Definitely. And I, th I, I, I can understand why Stuart Reese would be the guy you kick out to right tackle just because he's cross-trained and played so many different positions over the entire course of his college career. He's got more of those seniority type of feel to him. He's got more of that game experience type of thing to him. Josh Braun, I think, is one of those guys that is a true swing guy, guard tackle. I think that whenever you don't have the John DeLances, you don't have the Stuart Reese's next year, I think it's time to start getting Josh Braun some of that feel at, at right tackle for Florida. Um 
just because looking past that, you just have, you know, Michael Tarquin's not a guy who's played a lot in games at, at that tackle position right now. So I do in that too. And he's, and that's just over the court, even back in high school, he was hurt a lot. So I think that getting that feet wet for Josh Braun at tackle at some point, it's not something you need to come out of the gate and do week one, but I think that that's something that in the back of the mind, if, I guess if I'm the coach and I'm the one wearing the headset, I'd keep that in the back of my mind of continuing to get him ready for that right tackle position because I think long-term, I think that's where he's probably going to end up. Whereas Florida has a lot more options at that guard position. I think that he's, they, and they don't have that so much at tackle. I think that that's the spot to look out for him. Long-term for me. No, I agree. And I, and I think, you know, like you said, we, we'd like to see Florida recruit more true tackle types, you know, and I think Brown was a guy that obviously can play both ways as he's shown already at the college level. Um, but I think do that big playing tennis, that's tackle ability to play tackle. Exactly. So, uh, Blake, I guess looking at it, the only other thing that jumps out to me on the depth chart is probably special teams. It sounds like kickers relatively undecided for now. You know, Dan Mullen was asked about that in his Monday press conference shortly after we recorded the last episode of the podcast, not answering, you know, he, he's not going to give you that. You can show up Saturday at seven 30 against FAU and whoever's, uh, you know, kicking that opening kickoff, that that's probably your guy. Um, Fenley Graham was a guy that a lot of guys thought out of Lakeland high school was a very, very explosive guy, kind of smaller in stature, similar to a Brandon James. He didn't show up on the, the punt return or the kick return depth chart. So, uh, I'm not sure if that's gamesmanship for Dan, from Dan Mullen or they actually plan to get the guys that they have listed, like Jacob Copeland and Kyrie Elam involved. Don't like that. Don't like it at all. I To me, if Jacob Copeland's your number one receiver and you're already shallow on depth in the secondary, you can't be afforded to be risking guys like Kyrie Elam and Jacob Copeland. So I'm guessing, Blake, that that's gamesmanship and that Florida will mix in guys probably like more like Demarcus Bowman, uh, Jamarcus Weston into those return roles. But we'll see. I mean, that's that's why we're going to be out there Saturday. Definitely. I definitely have seen Finley Graham play special teams in high school, home run hitter. He's got that brain and James type feel to him. So I think that that would be the move for me. Um, obviously, I'm not at practice. I haven't seen things, but I agree with you. Just the depth they have at cornerback. I would not have Elam out there getting hit. And if Copeland's going to be your guy, I don't I don't know that I would have him there either, just because that's really your guy with the most experience at that wide receiver position. They have plenty of bodies they could put in there. But I mean, if that's going to be your guy, you don't want to give him any extra hits. All right, Blake. Now the matchup that everybody's had circled on their calendar for years since Florida scheduled it several decades ago. Florida Atlantic season opener, Willie Taggart, the head coach over at FAU. Uh, I mean, is this more intriguing than a normal season opener or am I making stuff up? I think it's just more intriguing because it's not, you know, backwoods, central Michigan U or something like that. I mean, it's a team that people are familiar with. It's got not some players. Mac-Wains. Yeah. Um, I mean, they've got a lot of players that they've gotten through the transfer portal and stuff. I mean, they've got, I'm sure, guys that they played with in high school just from recruiting in the state of Florida. Um, I think there's a little bit more intrigue maybe than a normal season opener, but I, I don't know that this is this big juggernaut. To whereas last year, I mean, Florida opening up with Ole Miss, you know, an all-SEC schedule, that's something that we're not going to see probably ever again, if not for a while. But uh, maybe not the biggest intrigue, but I don't think it's a complete snoozer to where, you know, nobody really cares at all. No, I agree, and I think – the big question for me is, you know, obviously Lane Kiffin had a pretty successful three years at FAU. Willie Taggart in his first season last year started off pretty hot. You know, they got off to a five and one start, but then lost their last three. I think the big question mark is, you know, was the Lane Kiffin tenure kind of a blip on the radar, you know, lightning in a bottle type deal where they went 11 and three in two of those three years that he was there? Or, you know, is that indicative of the fact that Florida Atlantic can get some real talent, uh, particularly using the transfer portal for guys that maybe have a lot, a lot of talent 
that are going to some of these power five schools that don't work out right away. It seems like, you know, FAU's gotten a lot of those guys. Quarterback is the first one we'll talk about, Blake. Nikosi Perry, uh, they got him from Miami, a guy that Florida's familiar with from having scouted Miami prior to that 2019 season opener. I talked to Todd Grantham about that, and, you know, that was something that he mentioned, that that they've seen Nikosi Perry, uh, you know, operate. And, and obviously, so there there will be some familiarity there. Um, but really they have eight to 10 transfers that are going to make a difference on this FAU team. And I, I think the question mark is, um, you know, this is probably a more talented FAU team than Florida's used to seeing, you know, there's been some previous meetings with FAU and Florida for the most part has kind of run all over them. Uh, I guess 2015, not quite so much, but, um, you know, the question mark is, you know, I think FAU's got more talent than you would typically think of FAU. So the question mark is, you know, is Willie Taggart not going to be able to take advantage of that talent or is he going to be able to do a little bit like Lane Kiffin did and, and you know, kind of make Florida Atlantic more competitive than you would think they would be? And Blake, my thought is this is probably going to be a more competitive game than people probably realize. And, and I'll talk about why in a second. Um, but I, I don't know. What's your take on, on Willie Taggart? Because I think a lot of Florida fans, obviously seeing him at Florida State, Probably not super high on him, and and I'm not sure where I stand on that. I'm not sure where I stand either. I think it you, you have a lot of guys that came back for their senior year at FAU, so I think that it's a game that you know when you think season opener for Florida, you think you know like a 55 to you know seven type of game where the backups are in at halftime or you know something like that. I don't know that that's going to be that type of game whenever you have the experience that FAU has, but I could see this being a game that's fairly competitive early on, and then Florida pulls away with that extra depth and that extra talent in the, in the later quarters of the game. Don't know that I see a big shellacking and maybe the score won't be as indicative of how close it could be at one point, but I don't see this being a, I don't see it being a majorly competitive game, but I don't see Florida just coming out of the gate and running away with it. I see them kind of being some competitism there and then pulling away late. Here's the reason I think it's competitive. I think when you break down what FAU brings back, obviously they have a lot of talent. Obviously they have a lot of transfers. I think it's where the talent comes back, you know, that, that makes me, cautious heading into this game and Blake I think the spread is 24 I, I don't think Florida's going to cover the spread I'll go ahead and say that right off the bat and the reason is Florida Atlantic's defense returns 12 of the 14 guys last year that had 200 plus snaps you're talking about a lot of experience back on a defense that was actually pretty good last year uh, what happened with FAU last year was really the offense kind of fell off a cliff you know offense was really really good under Lane Kiffin and then moving to Willie Taggart's system they just didn't really get it done. I mean, their, their leading passer last year only threw for 905 yards. So the passing game was atrocious and the offense wasn't there. But defensively, FAU was pretty good. You return 12 guys with 200 plus snaps. That's a lot of experience. Now, the difference is, unlike most years, last year, those guys didn't really compete against Power 5 teams because of the way all the scheduling worked, right? Florida played an all-ICC schedule. Well, FAU played a pretty much all-cupcake relative to Florida standards schedule. So those guys may not be as tested, but you've got a lot of guys that know what they're doing together. You do have a defensive coordinator shift, right? So Jim Levitt left, Mike Stoops comes in. Um, Mike Stoops over the years has put together some pretty good defenses. So I would assume that FAU, if you, you know, we always talk about the defense being ahead of the offense and spring practice and all that. I'm assuming that's where FAU is going to be Saturday in the swamp, where they're not going to make a ton of, you know, mental mistakes, tactical errors and that kind of thing. Now, does Florida have the talent to just overpower them? Probably. I mean, Jacob Copeland, Justin Shorter, you talk about the running backs, Emory Jones. 
Uh, Florida's going to get theirs. I'm not, I'm not at all saying that Florida's going to have trouble scoring or whatever. But I do think when you talk about the inconsistency a little bit with Emory Jones and kind of what we're expecting from the offense, you probably are likely to have some drives here or there that stall out or, or, or a turnover here and there. And I think that's going to be one of the key statistics. You know, how do those swing moments in the games go, uh, with, particularly with this game? Um, you know, do those turnovers come at really, really inopportune times? Or is it Florida that's capitalizing on those turnovers with a defense that we expect to be more aggressive? Um, but, Blake, I look at it, I, I think this, this game has the makings of a frustrating game for fans. You know, Florida fans are so used to, after the last few years, seeing the offense being able to march up right you know, right up and down the field, really. And I don't know that we're going to see that based on what we've heard at Emory Jones. Uh, out of, you know, the offensive line, I'm still not sure that, that they're where we want them to be. So I have a lot of question marks. I do think this is going to be a competitive game, Blake. Any key players for FAU that you're keeping an eye on that you, or you think Florida fans should keep an eye on? There's a couple. I think Nikosi Perry is obviously, you know, the big name that everybody will know. The quarterback out of Miami transfer. Um, a guy that, like I said, Florida had prepared for a little bit in 2019 before that season opener against the Canes. Uh, he's a guy that's probably not going to run quite as much as Willie Taggart has done in the past. So I think that Florida has the potential to really bring up a lot of sacks in this game if the defensive line is as good as we think it is. And again, it is a little banged up right now, so who knows. Uh, but offensively, I know a couple of guys that, that Todd Grantham has circled are TJ Chase. He's, he was their leading receiver a year ago. Pretty former Clemson guy. receiver. Yep, former Clemson guy. So he's got some talent. Uh, John Mitchell's another receiver that's back. He was their leading receiver from 2019, I believe. Missed last year due to injury. He's going to be back. So they've got some guys, you know, a couple different transfers that are coming in. I believe Andrew Baselli transferred in from Florida State. Uh, obviously, the you know, the son of a very famous NFL offensive lineman. So, like I said, I think the biggest difference when you're looking at this game and, you know, if you just looked at the schedule and saw Florida Atlantic, you may think, okay, easy win for Florida based on Florida Atlantic's history. I, I, I don't think this is that Florida Atlantic team. I think they're more talented. Again, the big question mark to me is coaching. You know, can, can Willie Taggart coax more out of his guys than you would expect, a la, you know, what Lane Kiffin did in two of his three years there winning 11 games? That I don't know. I think I don't see Florida really ever being in trouble in this game. Blake, I think that would take some some pretty dire circumstances. Like I said, some turnovers going against Florida at the absolute wrong moment. Um, but I think, you know, the energy from the swamp, I think everybody's going to be ready to get back out there. I think Florida's going to be fired up. And, and defensively, Blake, I really put it all on that front seven again. I think the secondary, I think they're going to, Probably have some growing pains early in the season. I do like the talent back there. But to me, really the key to the season, key to this game, uh, that defensive line, that defensive front has to be aggressive. They have to really throw FAU off their rhythm. And if you do that, I think you come away with a pretty comfortable win on Saturday. I agree with all that. I think that um, I, I think in Todd Grantham's scheme as it is, the front seven is so important. So, you know, with those guys, a lot of new pieces in there outside of, you know, Kyer Elam, a lot of, you know, even Trey Dean has played a lot of snaps. I think that that secondary is something that's going to have to come along. But I think that they could be helped out with the Florida adding the depth they did on the defensive line, having the linebackers be more athletic. So if that front seven gets after it, it's going to help those guys continue to kind of have a, uh, it's going to let them have their growing pains. All right, Blake. Well, anything else we need to get to today before we wrap it up? Can't think so. 
All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today, guys. Uh, like we said, we're, we're really, really trying to get back to a much more regular schedule for the podcast. I know this summer was a little rough. We had a lot going on COVID-19, uh, you know, a couple different things with health wise uh, for, for our staff and whatnot. So we're going to try to get back to regular what we're going to try to do. And, and again, because we don't really know the road travel plans yet, given the Delta variant and all that, uh, we can't guarantee this every week, but the plan is to do a, a shorter Sunday episode, kind of an instant reaction when Blake and I get around to, uh, you know, chat and Sunday, probably closer to a 15 minute episode, quick thoughts on the game, all that. And then what I usually do is Sunday afternoon, I usually end up going back through rewatching the game very, very closely, breaking down individual assignments, you know, which guys are doing well that you may not have noticed on the game tape. And so we'll break all that down on Monday mornings before Dan Mullen talks. On Thursdays, uh, our episode will be to preview the upcoming game and then to obviously recap, like we did this week, anything that came out of Dan Mullen's Monday press conference, any news like Truesdale transferring, Chatfield transferring, all that kind of stuff. So Sunday, very brief recap episode, quick instant reaction. On Monday, we'll break down the game more in depth. And then on Thursday, we'll be previewing the next week's game. So that's going to be the plan for the fall. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to hit like on the video. Uh, leave us a favorable review if you're listening on a podcast, whether that's on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you can be, uh, wherever you can find our podcast, which is pretty much everywhere. Uh, and if you like the YouTube channel, be sure to hit subscribe. We will be back on Sunday, probably mid-afternoon, with a uh, instant reaction from Florida season opener against Florida Atlantic. Thanks for tuning in, guys. on Paramount Plus. You're ready, Bob. Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.